All right, so here we go. This is the Intersection Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lapka, alongside my co-host, Brendan Casera, presented to you by the Sports and Society Initiative at Ohio State. We have another fantastic guest for you guys today. We have Adam Jardy of the Columbus Dispatch, the Ohio State basketball reporter. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you coming on to talk with us today. We're going to cover a lot of different topics, but we're going to start with the basketball tournament, which we know you are covering. So first, for a lot of the fans listening to this show who are unaware of what exactly the basketball tournament is, could you give kind of a brief explanation of what that tournament is and the significance of it? Sure. So this is the seventh year, I believe, of the basketball tournament. And it's uh, basically anybody can create a team. And if you can create enough uh, buzz around your team, and if you can get selected to participate, that's a, a winner-take-all tournament. It uh, normally features um, 64, 68 teams. There's usually more than this season. Uh, and the prize is usually $2 million. But this year, with the pandemic, um, they've been able to put together a 24-team tournament that's playing in downtown Columbus, um, featuring 24 teams, although there's actually four teams that are just there on standby in case there's a positive test. Um, but it's a winner-take-all tournament. Um, usually alumni, there's, there's a lot of teams that are themed around something, whether it's uh, an alumni team or, or, or a cause or something like that. And so, um, yeah, it's just a summer basketball event that normally would be played over the span of a couple of weeks. And this summer they're trying to do it in 10 days in downtown Columbus. So we've seen women's soccer come back in the United States. We've seen golf come back in the United States. This is really the first basketball event, one of the first major sporting events uh, other than the soccer and the golf that's coming back. So this is kind of a big test, and, and you've been there throughout all of it. What's it kind of been like in this Columbus bubble uh, for the basketball tournament and its preparations? Well, like, uh, like most of us, I've only been there virtually. They've completely closed it, unless you are participating and have taken – and passed multiple um, COVID tests, like you can't be part of this. So there's there's no on-site media. The games are actually being called from uh, broadcasters that will be in a studio in Indianapolis. Um, so they've really buttoned it down as much as they possibly can. Um, they've, they've done their best to create a bubble in downtown Columbus. So the players, after having passed uh, multiple positive tests at home, then are allowed to come to Columbus, park in a garage, walk to the team ho- or the, the hotel in downtown, which is – completely shut down except for the, the basketball tournament. If you or I wanted to go get a room there right now, we could. And you go there and you have to pass a temperature check. You pass another coronavirus test. You get a bunch of gear. You're escorted to your room. And then once you're in your room, you're quarantined for a good 24 hours until that test then comes back negative. And once that test is negative, then you can participate with your team. And then from there, you can start having some practices and once the whole team is put together in, in one group, uh, any positive test from anybody results in the team being disqualified. So they've, they've really like put a lot of effort and a lot of time into trying to make this thing as safe as it possibly can be. Um, you're right. It's the first basketball event that's happened since, you know, the whole sports world shut down. The, the NBA is definitely watching, paying attention to see how this goes because they're trying to get started. Um, but it's a, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that this is happening. It's unbelievable that it's in Columbus. And I mean, I absolutely get it. And I'm not, I'm not mad about it, but it is, it's tough knowing that it's in the city that I live in. It's the thing that I cover and I can't go there. That's a hard, that's a hard reality to, to, to come to grips with these days, but I get it. So you mentioned the NBA is going to be watching and with their whole plan with the Orlando bubble, I'm sure they will emulate a lot of things that are going on in Columbus, something a little bit further down the road with the college basketball season. Are, are they also watching this and saying, you know what, although that is still about six months out before the start of that season, uh, a little less than that, you know, 
we're watching the basketball tournament and what is happening there could be implemented uh, into what we're going to do with college basketball, or is that a bit of a different story? I think college basketball is probably watching anyone and anyone right now. It's the, the sport is in a unique position because it was the sport most directly, honestly, most directly affected by the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, it hit right as the postseason was, was getting started. And so, um, and then it, at the same time, it was, it, since it was at the end of its season, it had the longest amount of time between uh, when the season ended and when the season would start up again. So college basketball has the ability to just kind of sit back a little bit right now. Like there's no need for the sport or for any teams really to, to start putting in absolute concrete plans and deadlines as far as this is what's going to happen in the fall, because one, we have no idea. And you're right now, you're just kind of watching to see, well, okay, other sports are, you know, getting back to things a little bit. How are they doing it? What is working? What's not working? Um, you know, at, at this point, the, the plan is that college basketball will start on time and will play a, norm, a normal season. But I mean, we don't know what next week is going to look like right now. So um, my conversations with, with people around the program and just other people in college basketball in general is that the, the expectation right now is it's going to start. You plan as if it's going to start when it's supposed to. And if something changes, then you're going to have to adapt. But they're certainly watching TBT right now. They're certainly watching you know, the football team being back on campus, you're looking at other schools around the country. How are they doing things? Um, keeping, you know, tabs on the infection rate. And there's a lot that's going to go into whether or not college basketball happens on time this season. But right now it's just, it's so far out that it's almost, there's almost no point speculating because we just don't know. Hey Adam and um, Caleb Wesson obviously completed his junior season for Ohio state this past season. And, had it a little cut short, and obviously with his draft stock, probably not the best timing for a guy like Caleb Wesson, so he's decided to play in the basketball tournament. What do you think of his decision to play uh, in this tournament? Uh, because we really don't see a whole lot of guys going into the draft make that kind of a decision. Well, he's actually since decided that he's not playing in it. So uh, both, both Caleb and Andre Wesson have decided that um, it's sort of in their best professional interest not to risk an injury or not to risk some sort of exposure that would, that would uh, hurt their draft stock, which, like you said, I mean, you don't see many guys who are uh, draftable, um, you know, playing this. I mean, I guess partially because when this event normally happens, the draft has already taken place, so it's kind of a, a moot point. But um, it's not something that um, they decided was in their best interest this year, so they're both – they're both sitting out. They're both not playing. I'm personally disappointed. I would have loved to, to see them play again. I, I understand their decision, um, and I think it's probably, you know, the, the, you've got a lot to lose. You've got a lot to gain from something like this, but I understand why you just want to play it safe and try to put yourself in the best position you can to be a pro somewhere. Yeah, do you think it's a little like a little surprising that more players didn't at least consider that as an option or seem like they considered that as an option, you know, when you think about the fact that, you know, this year there was no draft combine. There's guys that are, you know, on the cusp of could be a first-round pick, could be a second-round pick, could be drafted, could not. You know, do you think it's a little surprising that more guys didn't take that as, uh, into more consideration? I, I think it sort of depends on – I don't know how much – obviously everybody's watching TBT. We're all going to watch this thing when it starts, assuming that it can that it can actually be played. I mean, if you like basketball at all, you're probably going to have it on. It's They're going to have a very captive audience. I don't know – definitively how much stock the NBA puts in a TBT performance. And so I, I think it ultimately that that's kind of what it comes down to. How much do teams really value what they're going to see from you in, in an event like this? Because you're, like I said, everybody's going to be watching it. I, I imagine the ratings for this thing are just going to be ridiculous. And so 
certainly it can put you on the radar for somebody. Um, and, and I think it will, it will definitely, you know, grow guys profiles and we'll give them maybe some opportunities, but yeah, I, I, I ultimately, I just, I don't know how much the NBA specifically values TBT uh, evaluations as opposed to, you know, watching your game film from uh, whether it was in the G league or overseas or in college or whatever. I, I'm not sure where TBT film fits into all of that. And when you look at, you know, the basketball tournament and how they've handled everything, obviously it's a really tough situation to kind of navigate through and being one of the first, you know, leagues back or tournaments back. It, it, it's a tough thing. Is there anything that you look at that you think they've done really well, or maybe they've fallen short on to this point that you're a little concerned about uh, as we get closer to the tournament starting? I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is they've been really, really active with their testing. I mean, these guys, before they will play, like the first games are on Saturday, and the guys that play in that game, and by, by the time they play on Saturday, will have passed like six or seven tests. And so, I mean, they're really, if you're going to have an event at all, I think they've probably done as good a job as you could hope for. I mean, they've been really cautious. Um, they've really encouraged their guys to socially distance and to work out on your own and to, to make responsible decisions so you're not putting yourself at risk of coming down with the virus. And I think the fact that if you're if you, they've put a system in place where if, if anybody on your team tests positive, the whole team is sent home. Like, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty intense, and I think that gets the attention of a lot of guys. And so they're, the biggest key to me in this is that they're taking it seriously and they're doing everything they can to put the event together. Now, I've talked to people on, like, the leadership group of the, of the TBT and John Mugar, the founder. And I mean, he said, yeah, there's a situation where we might be partway through this and it becomes impossible to play. I mean, what happens if there's, we're down to the final four teams and someone tests positive? Like, what do you, what do, you do at that point? And, I mean, they have, they have decision trees to sort of, you know, guide their, their you know, what they'll do from there. But um, I think they've done as much as they can to try to have this thing uh, take place. I mean, what do you think are the chances? I mean, this is a 10 day term, July 4th to July 14th. And you mentioned all these obstacles. I mean, what do you, if you had to put a percentage on, what do you think is the percent chance that they run the tournament smooth, uh, no errors at all? Well, I mean, as far as no errors, do you mean nobody testing positive or, or the event not being able to complete the event, not being able to complete. I mean, at this point, I think it's probably going to happen because I think they've been diligent enough. And I think guys understand, like, the importance of not risking it. I mean, you know, these guys, it, you could be quarantined in a hotel in downtown Columbus for, like, two weeks. And that's, you know, not an easy thing to deal with. I mean, when I talked to one of the players the other day, he said, like, his, the window doesn't open in his room. So, like, he can't even get fresh air if, if he wants but, I mean, first world problems. I mean, it's a really nice hotel, and the rooms are great. And, uh, I mean, you got air conditioning. you got cable TV. I mean, it could, it could be a lot worse. But, like, so that, that, that's a lot to deal with. But I think that the, the, the chance to, to play with, you know, your friends and your, your former teammates again, like, that's valuable to the people who are participating in this. And I think after you win a game or two and you start realizing, like, hey, if we win, like, three more games, like, we could be walking home with a – we could come out here with a million bucks that we're splitting, you know, 10 ways or whatever, like that, that matters. And I think that helps keep guys sort of on the straight and narrow a little bit. You could, it's also possible though. I mean, you could do all the things right and someone still gets it anyway. I mean, that's, it's such a, a tough spot in society right now. I mean, you know, every decision you make right now, you're sort of weighing the risks against like the possible benefits. And so I think, um, 
and guys are going to continue to do that. But as long as guys are making the right decisions, it's as, it's as safe and secure as I think it could possibly be. So hopefully that means it can happen. The basketball tournament is going to be highlighted, as you mentioned. I mean, there's not a lot of other sports going on, and people who are desperate for sports at any capacity are going to turn this thing on. And you compare it to maybe the Drew League, to the three-on-three league uh, that they do in the summer. I think Ice Cube runs that or whatever. I mean, what is this event going to be something where a lot more players are going to be looking at it uh, as a comparison to the Drew League and one of the top kind of postgraduate basketball leagues that's not the G League and not the NBA? I mean, I, I think so. There, there's an element to it. I mean, it's it's not – the style of game is a little bit different. And obviously, like, the rules are different. They, they play with the Elam ending. Um, so they don't – you know, with four minutes left, they, they stop the clock and they put seven or eight points on the team that's winning. They, they put that number on a scoreboard, and then it's the first team to get to that number that wins. And so it's not – you know, the strategy changes down the stretch. There's a lot of different sort of quirks to it. So it's not exactly like apples to apples. But it is something that – you know, some some alumni groups and some teams have really started to, to sort of uh, uh, like just galvanize around. And, and there are there are some organizations that just really value the opportunity to have uh, to, to play in, in a thing like this. And so um, I, I don't know ultimately like where it falls as far as some of the other events. It's closer to real basketball than like the three on three event or, yeah. or things like that. And I, I think that the there's a higher level of play. And I think this year especially you're seeing a lot of dudes that are signing up because there's nothing else to do right now. So I think you're going to see some really good players in this year's event that, that, that will make it really fun too. I want to take a look back at, you know, March when everything kind of hit all at once and, you know, the big 10 tournament was getting ready to get started. And I know we were there for student radio and found out like 15 minutes before the Michigan Rutgers game, that things were, were canceled. How did you find out? Was it from that, from that email or did you find out prior and, and how did that all go down? Uh, boy, uh, that was an unbelievable, like 48 hours where literally it just felt like yeah. the whole world was shutting down. And so it was crazy like in our house. So that, that Wednesday when things were still happening, um, well, even going back to, um, it was either Tuesday, I think it was Wednesday, we had interviews um, with the Ohio State basketball team here in Columbus about the possibility that they could be playing in front of no fans. That was something that was just starting to be discussed. It was the first time that coronavirus had even been brought up. I think that was Wednesday. It could have been on Tuesday. Um, but I wrote like an extra story that like, hey, there's this coronavirus thing, and maybe they might not play in front of fans. And then by like, by the time you went to bed Wednesday night, like I'll never forget that Wednesday. It was, it was my wife's birthday. Actually. Like we went out to dinner. It's the last time we've been to a restaurant and we, I, I get home and my wife's a teacher. She went to bed. We got our kids to bed and I'm up like trying to figure out what's happening in the world. And I'm watching the big 10 tournament and I, you start getting the vibe that the whole world was changing. Rudy Gobert test positive. Fred Hoiberg is looks just positively sick on the Nebraska sideline trying to coach. And I started texting with some of the people, um, some of the sources that I have about like what was going on in Indianapolis. I wasn't there yet. My plan was to leave in the morning. So Ohio State didn't play until like 6.30 that night. And there was a real sense that night that like we're going to wake up on Thursday and there's not going to be a tournament. Like there's no way they're going to play if people are testing positive. But you woke up Thursday morning and it was still, everything was still on. So I got got my kids off to, to school and hopped in the car and just started driving thinking like, no matter what happens at this point, like Ohio state is in Indianapolis. So I need to be in Indianapolis. There's going to be news today. Either they're going to play a game somehow or they're not, but I need to be there. So I started driving 
I was listening to um, like ESPN radio, which I normally, when I'm, if I'm in the car, I'm normally jamming out, but I've listened to the radio, make sure I wasn't missing something. Cause I was in this, I was in my own little bubble. It's like the whole world is changing and I'm just in a car driving. Hopefully I don't miss something. I listened to the radio for a while and then I stopped as soon as I got across the Ohio state line, just to get a, uh, get some caffeine. And um, that was where I got, I got the official word that the tournament had been canceled. And then it was very quickly, well, I'm halfway to Indianapolis. Do I go, do I go home? What do I do? Uh, and then it's just decided, well, find out where the team is and, and drive to Indianapolis. I continued and um, I'm like driving and voice texting with people trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And um, where Brendan, were you at the, the team interviews then at the team hotel there in Indianapolis? I was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a what a surreal experience that was. I mean, just like yeah. there's the whole team, and they're all saying goodbye to each other, and um, you know, we're in this huge, like, massive hallway in in the hotel, and there's people everywhere. And at that point, we're like, okay, we can't handshake. So we're kind of like, I remember elbow bumping one of the assistant coaches because we couldn't handshake, and it was just it was a very surreal experience, and. And then, and then when it was all over, then I drove home. Right. I, we had, had gone to lunch after the interviews, and it was like all of a sudden Indianapolis just felt very eerie after yes. that had all happened. And I think the biggest surprise was the fact that it was like 15 minutes before Michigan, Michigan Rutgers tip, and that's when we got the news. It felt like, all right, we're safe. It's going to happen at least right. this first game. Yeah, and they, that, they that were just out, wasn't the case. They were out warming up. I mean – and that, that was one of the things, too. And, uh, I mean, I'm driving on I-70, so it's straight and flat, and there's not a whole lot going on. So I'm trying not to wreck my car, but I'm also, like, following the couple of writers that were at the event, like, tweet. I'm looking at their tweets and going, like, okay, they're practicing. They're, or, you know, they're warming up. They're on the court. It's like this thing is happening. And so, you know, you, you, I just kept driving under the assumption that that was the case. And then I think I saw a tweet that said, Hey, someone just came out and talked to someone, and now guys are leaving the court. I was like, "Ooh, this is, yeah, this is this is getting wild." Yeah, it all happened so fast. Taking a look at the team, you know, for this upcoming season, hopefully we have a season in some sort of capacity. What are your thoughts? Obviously, the Wesson brothers both gone. Luther Muhammad transfers out. Alonzo Gaffney leaves. You know, definitely a lot of change on that Ohio State basketball team. What are your thoughts on the team this year and where they kind of stand in the Big Ten? Well, it's, it's a team that as much as anybody in the country, I think, would benefit from a, a normal offseason because they have a lot of older dudes, but they have not played together yet. And so, uh, to me, it's a it's a crucial offseason for the team because they need to get these guys on the same page. There's a lot of they lost some talent, but they brought in some talent too. And you've got guys that have been through some battles that have played at some high levels and you need to figure out now how it all fits together. And this team's going to look drastically different without having Caleb Wesson, you know, being the focal point of the offense. I mean, that's what we've seen for the last two years. Obviously he's a post player, but he really expanded his game last year and, and was one of the best three point shooters in the big 10. So it wasn't exactly like it was two seasons ago where you're just pounding the ball you know, in the, in the paint and trying to get him touches down there. But it still revolved a lot around where you put Caleb and what Caleb was doing. A guy sort of played off of him. This year, that's wide open. And there's a number of guys that I think step into that void as far as who's going to be the, the go-to guy, who's going to be the main scorer. So you're not going to have maybe roles that are as clearly defined early on as you have the last two years. So I think when you have a team that 
that has a lot of those things to figure out and also has a bunch of new faces, you just need to be together. And it, they can at least benefit from the fact that at this point, they are all back on campus. They're all, you know, they're doing individual stuff right now. They can have small workouts, three to four guys. Um, they can't start doing organized team stuff until the 20th. So they're starting to build some of that chemistry, some of that camaraderie. But this is a team that for them to, to reach their potential, they need to have time together. And they've just not had that opportunity yet, really. I want to address the post situation real quick because obviously EJ Liddell really came on strong towards the end of that year. And then Kyle Young obviously has been here for the last three years. He knows the system. He's had success. But then you bring in a guy like Seth Towns, very talented. You know, the numbers uh, definitely don't lie, but also some injury history there with Seth Towns. You know, who do you, if you had to, to pick two guys just right now, just, just a little opinion, um, you know, how would you start? Uh, the front court for for Ohio State next season because there's definitely a lot of talent there. Well, it'll probably be EJ Liddell and Kyle Young. I mean, you probably you start with those guys, um, and it, no matter what, like they're they're going to look different. They don't have another body like Caleb Wesson. I mean, right. you're going to be smaller, like height wise, no matter what they do this season. I mean, you're probably looking at you know EJ Liddell being the starting four and Kyle Young being the starting five, and I mean, Kyle is the same height as Caleb, but he's like 50 pounds lighter. So you're looking at a whole different style and a whole different way that this team's going to have to play. But I think what you're going to end up seeing is guys that are going to be more positionless. You know, you can move guys around more. You can have, you can use more length. Uh, they have more guys that can, some guys that can drive, some more guys that can shoot. So maybe you see things spread out a little bit more. Um, but I think right now you're, you're starting with, you, you go into the season expecting you're going to start with Kyle Young and EJ Liddell as your two sort of main post players. But then, like, you, you start looking at, you know, Seth Pounds isn't a post player per se, but, I mean, he's 6'7 or 6'8. And Justice Suing, who's a transfer from Cal, who's going to be a, a huge player for them this season. I mean, he's, I think, 6'8. Uh, I mean, they, they could have a lineup out there where you, you go, you know, 6 – everyone's between, like, 6'5 and 6'8. So they're going to have – they're going to be long. They're just not going to have that traditional center um, anchoring the post. You mentioned the camaraderie of the team and saying they need a lot of time together, and they lose a big leader in the offseason. They lose Caleb Wesson. That's their guy. That's their rock. That's their go-to man. And, and just in the locker room, I mean, he's that presence. He's that leader. Seth Town comes in. What he's done for the racial injustice, the protest, he's shown that he can be a leader off the court. But, you know, who, who does Seth Town step into that role as a transfer? Is it a guy who's been on the roster for a few years? I mean, someone has to step into that role, take initiative, and lead this team now that Caleb Weston is gone. Who, who do you think is, is going to be that guy? Well, Seth Towns will definitely have a leadership role in this team. And I think he's, he comes in very well respected. I mean, even before um, some of the more public things that he's done here in the last couple of weeks, um, He's, ha he's held a lot of respect in that locker room for a long time. But really, I mean, when you talk about a leadership role, um, that's, that's C.J. Walker. And we saw that last season. I mean, he's, he's a fifth-year player. He's from Indiana or from Indianapolis. He played for Florida State for two years. He transferred. Um, he really came on last year, the back half of the season. And, I mean, we, we just uh, – Brendan was asking about E.J. Liddell. I mean, he was big uh, down the stretch. But, but C.J. Walker, once D.J. Carton left the team, it very clearly became C.J. Walker's team. And it, it can't be overstated that once, once D.J. left, um, things got better from a win-loss standpoint, from a flow standpoint. From the, the team looked better, and C.J. was a major part of that. Um, I mean, this was a team last year. They had four freshmen and three sophomores. Um, 
and they needed some leadership. Like that was, I had heard talk last June that they were already concerned about sort of the, the maturity of, of this team. And we saw that play out over the course of the season, just, you know, the inconsistent play and kind of where things went in January. And when this team really got itself dug out and really started to get better, CJ Walker was leading them. It was really the guy that was pushing that. And so he's the, he's that guy. I mean, they they will have, I'm sure two or three captains. I'm sure he'll be a captain and Kyle Young will be a captain as, as the seniors, but like, this will be CJ Walker's team in a lot of ways. As a journalist, obviously navigating, you know, this tough time, what would your advice be to, you know, young aspiring journalists, um, you know, with obviously everything going on? As far as just finding stories, finding jobs, find like what and advice in what way? Uh, well, let's go with finding jobs more so. I think that's probably the biggest concern among young journalists right now. That's a concern about or for most journalists, period, right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the best, the best thing I could probably say is to, uh, be prepared to be as versatile as you possibly can. I mean, I, I kind of, regardless of what's going on in the world, like be willing to go where the jobs are and be willing to be open to whatever those jobs would be. Um, when I graduated from Ohio state, after having been the editor of the lantern for my senior year, um, I had a job interview at a newspaper in Illinois. I had a job interview to be the entertainment editor for a newspaper in Elko, Nevada. One of the more, one of the more um, improbable stories of my life, I suppose. But <laughs> I literally flew to Elko, Nevada um, on a casino airline like junket that flew out. It hit a bunch of Midwest cities and flew a bunch of senior citizens out there uh, so they could come to Elko, gamble for like two, three days, and then, and then flew home. And I had, a I had a job offer there. I had applied to a paper in, I think, Wyoming, and they passed my resume on to their sister paper. And so um, I flew out there and I, I saw the town and um, experienced what life was like in Elko, Nevada, and just decided that was not the right fit for me. Um, I was fine with moving away, but like you have to be willing to, to pursue those opportunities and to see where they might lead you. Ultimately, my first job was in Danville, Virginia, um, a city I had never been to. And I was covering ACC stuff and NASCAR and high school sports in a region of the, state, of the country I wasn't familiar with. Um, but you've got to be willing to, to find, if you have an opportunity like that, you have to be willing to explore it and be willing to, to go there and to pitch your versatility as best you can. And so that's, that's what got me my first job. The problem is those opportunities were already limited. And now, I mean, papers are, everyone's furloughing people and people are, are being laid off. It's a terrible time in the industry, in any industry right now. Um, so probably my best advice would be to be, be willing to, to, to move, to go where the job is, um, to, to pursue any opportunity that's out there and certainly to, to just be as patient as you can, which is really tough. Um, and, and just try to be as versatile and wide ranging as you can. I'm sorry. My dog is reminding me that I did not, or he, he wants more food. We're actually just going to wrap it up right now. Well-spoken words about the advice to uh, young journalists. We really appreciate you coming on. Go take care of your dog and uh, we'll look forward to hearing more from you in the future and hope to have you on uh, as school begins back in August. Thanks again, Adam. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you. me. Guys. Great talking to you. Nice to take a break from writing to actually just talk to another human being. So yeah. thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Appreciate you. Take care. All right. All right. You too. Thanks.